Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy. Hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Cretans, Cretans. Ah, uh, the original Cretan Good to be here. Yeah. Yep. The, the hops uh, that you feature, I'm not sure which uh, hops those are. The, the cones appear to be uh, head-sized. That is a I a think they're Columbus. Bar. Columbus? Yeah. yeah. You're, you're either your head is very small or the hops are very large. <laughs> not quite very sure. large hops. So an exclusive farm. Um, that has since burned down in the Oregon fires uh, yes. from 20, 2012, I think it was. So you, so you can no longer, so you can no longer get these hops. You're saying uh, the rhizomes yeah. may be buried under the ground somewhere, burnt beyond recognition, but beyond recognition, somebody, yeah. somebody could only photograph it. for posterity. Photographic evidence shows that you would need one hop. <laughs> to uh, to hop a five gallon batch, yes, right, right, or <laughs> two for your beers, yes, mm. right. If you're going to go hobby, yeah. uh, you definitely you definitely want to do that. Um, you know who um, enjoys a hoppy beer? Ah, I would imagine it would be our good friend John Blickman. You would not be mistaken. Uh, ah. Mr. John Blickman enjoys a hoppy beer. He enjoys a malty beer. He enjoys all beers as long as they're well-made. And one of the ways you can make great beer is using some Blickman engineering uh, equipment. All right. Uh, like his has, new grain mill. Oh, yeah. The new grain mill. It is, what, 12 pounds a minute, something like that? Yeah. It'll, yeah. it'll really put it through. 60-pound uh, hopper. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, capable of doing some serious homebrew, or if you've got a small uh, nano brewery, microbrewery, uh, that's a, that's a, a mill that can really push it through and is below a thousand dollars. You know, you, you get a, a mill for, you know, a small brewery, you're, you know, uh, in the past, you're talking six grand, you know, plus wow. if he, you know, if he's got the price down there and, you know, knowing uh, John Blickman, it's going to be quality gear, going to make yep. your brew day better. Uh, so check it out, BlickmanEngineering.com. Uh, if you get a chance, I would appreciate if you could email uh, my good friend John Blickman at uh, feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com and uh, tell him how much you appreciate that he's paid for the show so you get to listen to it for free. All right. Today, we're talking with uh, my dear friend, uh, Mr. Travis Comble. He is a uh, award-winning uh, home brewer. He is a brilliant uh, engineer. He's actually helped me on some of my engineering problems, uh, and uh, also uh, one of my best friends. And it is his birthday today. Ah, 
No wonder he looks so old. <laughs> it was the one day killed me. Oh. Right. It's one day it older, is. and that's what's done him in. Very good. good afternoon. Thanks, yeah. Travis, for, for joining us. So, Travis is um, he's also a main member of the Cane Island Ailers, the CIA out there, uh, Houston. Houston and and Houston adjacent, right? Yeah. Just out, mostly west side of Houston is where we're kind of located, but uh, the members are across Houston area to a degree. Um, there's several clubs, you know, and people kind of slide around, and there's maybe some things that happen there that I – you know, I'm with this club now. That's good for me. I mean, these guys are great. Yeah. Uh, and, and you guys, you know, seem fairly well, well organized and have won a number of uh, awards, uh, larger awards in the area as well. Uh, yeah. Um, it's a highly competitive club if you want to be. And, you know, if you just want to hang out and have some beers, is that too, you know, like every other club. Mm-hmm. Well, and, uh, uh, I think John and I, I mean, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, we've, uh, JC from Trillium and Jason from True Symmetry. And we've, you know, we've done a lot of Zoom meetings with your club. Yeah. Uh, you know, Matt, my friend Matt, uh, we have several Matts, but uh, you know, Matt Harold, he coordinated that for sure. And he, uh, he really brought some great talent, including you guys and, and Peter, who I think is in the chat right now, to come hang out with us and really give us some great information on brewing beer. Yeah, it was fun hanging out with your club. So I always enjoy doing that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, good good folks. Uh, they know how to do a meeting and um, not talk all over each other. Yeah. <laughs> so, so some of these meetings we do, there's just like a ton of noise and you can't really talk to anybody at all. So it gets to be a little frustrating. But um so one of the things about Travis, we actually have, so I'll tell you at Heretic, um, I got a uh, malt silo. It was probably eight years ago or maybe seven or six years ago, got a malt silo. And, you know, the, the question is, how do you measure the malt that's coming in from the malt silo? So I went on eBay. I got myself like an indicator, what they call an indicator, uh, that weighs things, you know, and, and has the inputs for all this. And then I got myself some some load cells, a summing box, and then I got myself a, a, a box to mount all the, the switches and relays. And I got to the point where it was like, well, I know all this will work. It's just like I'm too tired and dumb to actually make it work, so. Travis actually flew out uh, to Fairfield, spent a week with us, and literally built the box while I sat there and drank. And uh, he learned the programming language that the the GSC indicator used. And I want to say, not that I couldn't have done it. I was just too old, weak, and feeble to, to actually get it done. And, and so my dear friend, he came out and did it for me. And he, he put this all together. And, and what happens is my guys go to, the, uh, go to the indicator and they type in the amount of pounds they want and they hit start. And it starts up 
the in, in an appropriate sequence with delays. It'll start up the mill. It'll start up you know the uh, the the dust collector. It'll start up. Uh, what else do we have that goes up there? Uh, the, the the mill and, and, and dust collector and um, uh, the auger. You know, the auger. Uh, but what, there another fourth thing. Uh, the auger and so the you know start everything's running in the correct sequence and then you know predictively stop uh, and we end up with pretty much exactly within a half a pound you know the appropriate amount of malt milled into our grist case and then uh, you know it stops the auger then it lets the mill run for a few more minutes to just make sure that there's no mil- grain stuck in the mill. Because if you leave grain in the mill and you try and start up again, it's stuck. It won't start. Hmm. And uh, then uh, the, the dust collector runs for a while longer and all this stuff. And then it does its shutdown. This thing's been running for seven years flawlessly to this day. And we have named it the Travis. There's some acronym that I came <laughs> up with. So it says Travis on the, on the on thing. And that thing's used just about every day. I, I appreciate it, brother, that you you came and did that. And like I said, he's a brilliant engineer. He does a lot of stuff in the uh, gas and oil industry and does uh, things that are you know, beyond my brain power to really comprehend. Uh, you know, nice. uh, so, and and we have the uh, commonality in uh, brewing. We actually met, um, and, and people have, have heard me talk about you on the show, Travis. And so I thought it would be cool <laughs> to have you on so people could know the Travis that I'm talking about all the time. So I'm like, well, Travis and I were doing this, and Travis and I were traveling. You know, we were in a pub in England, and um, we actually met in San Diego at the Homebrewers Conference. We were at the uh, Toronado in San Diego and we sat down there was with, there with Peter Simons and he and I were, were there. Peter Simons was proceeding to drink four pints of Pliny in 30 minutes, 45 minutes <laughs> to where I, I pretty much had to carry him out. But he was sitting right next. I was sitting next to Peter. Peter was sitting next to you and you were sitting next to your wife. And uh, at some point, you know, he started talking to you about homebrewing. And then he introduced us. And we've been friends ever since. It was a great day. <laughs> it was fun. It was God, I love hearing the story. Uh, I'm not sure how much Peter loves hearing the story, but I love hearing the story. <laughs> <laughs> it probably reminds him. I, well, and let me, let me digress. So I was with Peter another time. And we were in uh, San Francisco. I'm not sure what was going on or why we're in San Francisco. We're in San Francisco. We're at the Rogue Ale House in San Francisco. We're sitting at the bar. And I think he had just gotten off his flight from Australia. He came in and we're, we're there and we're having pints and, uh, you know, we're chatting. It's everything's cool. And then at some point, all of a sudden, he just tips over backwards. Boom. Ground on a stool, just falls like out of the sky, flat on his back. And we're all like, "Oh my God, are you okay?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine." We're like, "Oh, uh, you know, uh, you know, did you hit your head?" And he's like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm fine." And and then he's he's like, "I'm gonna go to the bathroom." And we're like, "Oh, okay," you know, and we're a little concerned. He goes to the bathroom. 
and then he's gone. And I'm like, uh-oh, maybe he passed out and he's dead in the bathroom. <laughs> you know, go to the bathroom, I check, and he's not in there. Uh, you know, like the window's open, he slipped out and disappeared. I don't know, I think he went to, went back to his hotel. He was awfully tired and, and awfully drunk at that point. And uh, I think I got stuck with the bill. I think he still owes me to this day for, for quite a hefty bill at the uh, Rogue Ale House in San Francisco. Shock that up. Travis has never left me stuck with a bill. He's actually uh, too generous uh, when we travel. Uh, let's do this. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Travis about how you brew award-winning beers in the hot, sweaty armpit that is Houston right after this. Sounds good. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking with Travis Koppel. He is a brilliant engineering mind and award-winning brewer and member of the Keene Island Ailers. Lives out in Houston. One of the things about uh, Houston is, and we've talked about this, Travis, it's humid, it's hot. Uh, especially, you know, in the winter, in the summer months, um, how, how does that affect your brewing? And there's a lot of home brewers that, you know, they've got ideal water, they've got ideal temperatures, you know, those are the places where like all the Germans settled to brew beer and the, you know, uh, Texas is not one of those places. Uh, but you know, a vast number of, people in the U.S. live in those regions, you know, the, the southern United States, and they're dealing with uh, harder water, hotter temperatures. What are the, some of the things you've done to cope with this? Well, on, you know, on the basis of just temperature, it's, it's something you, you don't want to brew your first brew of the year in August. You know, I, I, I take them. It doesn't make sense. Jamil's saying I'm brilliant. Here's where I'm stupid. I take off in December. I don't brew in December for some reason, kind of because of the holidays. That's the time I should be brewing. So I crank back up in January and every two to three weeks, I keep brewing and drink water because it, it I mean in the garage, it gets really, really warm. I couldn't imagine doing it in sunlight. Um, some of our other brewers, believe it or not, have nice air conditioned garages. You know, that's something I would love to have. I don't have that at the moment. But yeah, I mean, with the heat, you've got to get used to it, I would say. And I started, I started six in the morning with hot water already. Yeah. When, when I was brewing, uh, at home, I would not brew in the summer. I would start brewing in the fall around football time and I'd brew through the winter. Of course I'm in California and, uh, and then I would quit about spring and I would stop from, you know, May, June through, uh, you know, June through, September. Uh, yeah, September. And because it was just hot and it was a, it was a giant pain in the butt, but I mean, you don't get that much of a choice in Houston. How, how does, you know, how do you protect, especially things like ingredients, you know, malt goes slack when you, you know, provide a lot of humidity and uh, heat, uh, you know, are you storing your grain? How, how are you handling your grains? Are you, are you just buying it, you know, one at a time? Or are you buying like, by the sack and you, you're storing it somehow. How are you, how are you coping with that? 
right now I am buying it by the sack and I have, uh, I have dog food bins that say that they're airtight. Um, I, I don't dump, you know, they're just some really nice containers you can get. I like them, but I won't use them. The, where, gamma, you know, the, the gamma bins or whatever they are. Screw off lid. Yeah. 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 I don't use that. I keep it wrapped in the sack in the container lid closed all the time. Mm-hmm. It says it's airtight. It's at least air reduced. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, no problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I do have a problem, it will happen in a few months here. Cause right now I have about four different sacks of base malt. And as I cycle through that, you know, then I'll find out just how airtight these bins are. So I might learn my lesson come January when I start brewing. Do you, do you, break. Do you taste the malt and, and, and check if it's crunchy and, and fresh tasting or, you know, or it's slack or something like that? I do. I mean, I, I, I taste all my malts. I taste almost everything that goes into the beer. Unlike, uh, uh, your buddy at device who says he tastes the yeast. I don't taste the yeast if I can help it, <laughs> but, I, but I, I taste the malts, uh, cause I love it and it's delicious. Right. I mean, it's, I guess if I didn't brew, I'd probably just make cereal out of it. But it's, you know, I do. And I haven't run into the problem yet. Um, right. a lot of times I'll buy just by the batch, but lately I've been buying by the sack. Mm-hmm. Except for specialty malts, I don't stock up on like Crystal Forty and sit on that for a year. Right. I'll buy that couple pounds at a time. Right, right. Uh, Pete Talbot is saying I met Travis with Jamel in London, Brixton, maybe five or six years ago. Great guy to chat with. Hi, Travis. Hope you're well. Uh, hey, Pete. That would have been the little the little brew pub with a nice couple barrel kit. I don't know, Pete, maybe you can elaborate. I mean, we, we, we had, so Travis and I have traveled extensively around England. Um, and we, we did a bit of Wales as well. Uh, and, uh, there, there was, there was one night at, uh, at, uh, um, at, uh, oh, the Casbury, uh, um, the homebrew club. Um, why am I drawing a blank here? Was that Sean's brewery upstairs where they had the yes. London amateur brewers? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It is. Why am I drawing London, a blank? Yeah. He's got a London brew lab. No, not that. Uh, well, London brew lab would be a different one. It starts with, uh, starts with an S. I you know. Yeah. The place Sean was brewing at at the time. Yeah. What's the name of the brewery? That's at least two breweries back for him. Uh, that was when he actually was brewing his bitter with 001. And it was one of my top two bitters that trip. Ah, uh, yes. Sam Brooks. Uh, Sam Brooks. Yes. Thank God. <laughs> uh, no, they won like a GBBF for like the, the you know, uh, a, a bitter. Uh, and it was just, you know, while Sean was there, it was absolutely uh, Sean Knight. It's absolutely stunningly good. It was, you know, all the beers were just so wonderful. Sean's a extremely talented brewer. And uh, he went on to Four Pure, and I'm not sure where he's at now. I think he's still at Four Pure. But uh, wonderful guy. We had the most amazing time <laughs> at Sam Brooks. And everywhere we went in England, uh, you know, Wales was amazing. York was amazing. Uh, Bristol was amazing. Uh, you know, just, just a wonderful time. And then you decided to go have children. That's what screwed the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, and I'm for, for better, for worse, I'm starting late, but just starting. 
you're still young. You're young, my son. You're not uh, old like me. I'm, I'm old enough to be your father. You know that, Luke? I can be your father. <laughs> I think so. I'll be glad you're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so Pete was at Sandbrook's that night at the London, uh, or he said London Brew Lab. But I, that was the place. Uh, now, my geography's yeah. bad. That was when you hosted the brew night. They had like 10 uh, uh, Braumeister kind of. Uh, oh, six. yeah. Right, right. That was that was a hoot too. Yeah, I ended up doing the barley wine on the big kit while everybody else was doing something else in the smaller kit. I think that was Leonard Brew Lab. Right. And okay. Yes. Pete's about five minutes behind on Facebook, so about five minutes he's going to tell us things we should have known five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, and did you go with me to the? You went with me to Mondo, and we did yeah. the pint night at Mondo, which was was a blast too. Yeah, and then we a, also went to King's something or other. Now you stop me. Mondo, I remember his kit looks like a spaceship and it's like a push button and it does a batch barge, believe it or not. Right. And it's a check kit. Hmm. Right. Right. And uh, was there that night? no, there was the, there was the one where the cab wouldn't let you into the, they didn't want to let you into the taxi. <laughs> that was after the, the Kings, whatever it was. They were like, no, no, not that guy. He's going to throw up in the... I'm like, no, he won't. I promise you. Because if we didn't get that taxi, we were screwed. Because none of the the public transit was running. We were were out in the middle of nowhere. We we tend to be out late and drinking. I don't know how how that works, but I blame it on Travis. I blame it on Travis. I'm bad influence. Yeah. Well... All right. I remember so, Denver and a few others. Yeah. Okay. So both of you, let's get totally distracted here and not talk about <laughs> what we're going to talk about. Both of you have traveled with me in beer related ways. And, you know, we've gone on beer trips together, John, yeah. Travis, and you both, you both, uh, you know, spent this time with me. What would you say it is like to travel with me? What, what is the horrible thing that people should know about traveling with me? Hot and sweaty. Hot and sweaty. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I must have shared a room. I had my own. <laughs> <laughs> Always have your own room. There's, there's a tip. Yeah. And, and of course, Jamil, you are a big horror movie fan. So there's always some you know, ch- chainsaw massacre going on in the background, you know, <laughs> trying to right. trying to do a Zoom meeting or something. You've right, got that. Right, right. What's the chainsaw for? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> never mind that. Yeah, I, I think I think I think I can uh, I can be a joy to be with. I can be a pain in the ass to be with. I think I think, you know, uh, when I'm tired and frustrated, uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll be tired and frustrated. Yeah. You and I had a great time in Singapore, but that was a very hot and humid trip. You know, that was. We find us walking around the city, you know, hundred trying to air our nets out and on the uh, you know swing yeah. side to side, get a little air on each side before it sticks and tears. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was that was rough. Yes, uh, Singapore was a blast though. Oh yeah, yeah. The, that was the beers and the people are great. Um, it was a really good time, but man, that the weather is just, it's, uh, it's a real step up for us poor Southern Californian people. 
that same year in Korea, it was worse. Oh, right. 10, 10 degrees worse in Korea. It was, and everyone was telling us how bad it would be in Singapore. I'm telling you, Korea people were like crying in the streets because it was so, so hot. Yeah. And we got to Singapore. We're like, this is not so bad. <laughs> that was yeah. a blast. That was a blast. Uh, Anissa was there. That Travis has traveled with uh, me and Anissa as well. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's a trooper. Indeed. Yeah. All right. Uh, now that I've burned through a lot of, a lot of, uh, time, uh, reminiscing and having fun. Uh, let's do this. Let's take one more short break. And when we come back, uh, more of Travis and we'll get into his award-winning techniques right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We are uh, talking with uh, Travis Cobble from the Keene Island Ailers, and he is uh, one of their most award-winning brewers. And he has a lot of tips for folks that uh, uh, brew in a sweaty uh, uh, latitude like, like Houston is, uh, you know, and near the ocean, all that stuff. Uh, and Frequently underwater. Frequently hurricane. underwater. Yeah. All right. uh, well, not like our friends at uh, Brew Chatter. Up in uh, up near Reno, uh, the Brew Chatter folks, brewchatter.com, RJ and Josh, uh, a couple of my favorite people in the homebrew industry. They are wonderful. They're kind, smart, funny people that have uh, a passion for providing their customers with the best. You should check them out, brewchatter.com. If you get a chance, email them, uh, uh, customer service at brewchatter.com. Tell them Jamel sent you. And that uh, you appreciate that they've paid, uh, help paid for the show. So, uh, com. They got all sorts of good stuff. And they could probably even help you with advice for uh, solving the sweaty brewer problem. Uh, well, Travis, so you've brewed a number of award winning beers, and you didn't start out that way, right? So how did you improve your beers over time? What, what were your first beers like? And, you know, how did you improve them? And, and how long did that take? Yeah. So 
you know, shameless plug for you guys. I've listened to every show except for I'm behind at the moment. And, uh, but yeah, I, I started off with kits of questionable, um, quality, even, you know, how long did they sit on the shelf before I got them? How long did it sit on the shelf after I got them? And I was, I was going to quit brewing and I brewed with someone. I think, I, th- I think it was a club brew, which I highly recommend that brew with someone else, uh, you know, get the feel of all grain, et cetera, whatever, whatever you feel like doing. That was big for me to understand, okay, I can actually make a decent beer, or at least I can learn to, because this guy is making good beer with a kit that's not that dissimilar from my kit. Um, but, you know, fermentation, everything around fermentation. And at that point, I could drink my beer. And then I moved to Houston, and it really showed me how bad my water was. And it goes back to you two guys. Oh. You know, and I, I, I did a light treatment on the water initially, and I, I've gone to more recently – I'm doing reverse osmosis and building it all up and uh, really cramming all that into just a couple of sentences. If you take those steps, you're on your way to making some really good beer. You know, I mean, if you want to know about water, you guys have the water Ganza, the water revisit, and probably a couple others thrown in there. And it's going to tell you way more than I could tell anyone about, or by the water book, you know, and fermentation almost every third or fourth, uh, show you guys have is, you know, making it, you know, sanitation, which is for fermentation purposes, temperature control, et cetera. And, um, as you've often said, almost any recipe is going to at least taste good if you follow a good process to make it. Right. Right. So, I mean, I don't, I don't brew the style a lot and that's not going to win a lot of awards, even if it's very tasty beer. Right. Is that by choice or failure to plan? <laughs> plan. Uh, sorry to disappoint you, Jamil, but it's, it's sometimes it's by choice. You know, I don't always want exactly that style of beer. Right. I, I want to tweak it a little bit. Like, uh, uh-huh. you know, many of my diapers, uh, double IPAs, which is one of my favorite styles, they're, I'm not going to use a West Coast hop, and I feel like I should if I want to compete. Right. If I expect to meddle with that beer, it should be something reminiscent. That's changing, though, I think, yeah. for better or worse. Right. But at least three, four years ago, it, you had to use the traditional American hop mm-hmm. if you were in a place. But you, may, you might make a really good beer, but it's not necessarily what judges are looking for. Right. And uh, John, uh, John, so uh, one of the things that uh, Travis brings up is his water and all that. And one of the things that I feel... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is that, you know, this whole, uh, you know, latitude of the United States, uh, you know, going from, um, uh, uh, you know, San Diego over to Florida and everything in between, yeah. do they tend to have a, a higher, uh, you know, mineral content water? I mean, you know, Florida, it's limestone that the water's right. traveling through and San Diego, you know, the water's uh, water that I've, uh, you know, pooed in and peed in and it's flowed down the state and, and it's, you know, absorbed a lot of other crap. And, you know, um, so it's been recycled so many times, uh, you know, that, you know, it's built up a lot of, uh, mineral, mineral content as well. I mean, is that true for, for, 
anywhere that it tends to be hot and sweaty is 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 the should you look at well, the water that way or, or no? Well, yeah, you need to understand your water source, definitely. And there are two basic sources. You've got your surface waters, your rivers and lakes and reservoirs, and then you've got your groundwater. And North America of, as a whole, you know, was, you know, prehistorically was this inland sea covered in small shellfish and turned to limestone. So you've got these big limestone aquifers that we all draw from inland, you know, states that are inland um, without access to lakes and rivers. And so the groundwater there is going to be high in alkalinity, mm-hmm. which, you know, is a problem for when you're trying to brew pale beers. Can't get your mash pH down, tend to have rough flavors in the beer as a result. If you're in a surface water area, and that's some some areas of Florida, um, Georgia, you know, like I say, surface water sources, then you're going to have very low mineral water. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have problems with your dark beers because you don't have the balancing alkalinity. Now, so that's that that. That's your starting point is understanding, do I have a high mineral water or low mineral water? And what, what does that mean to the styles that you can brew? And from there, that's when you start talking about adjustment. Surface waters, low mineral, you're going to add calcium, you know, just as a matter of course. And if you look at Papazian and, and you know, um, Joy Home Brewing, he recommends adding gypsum, you know, Colorado, they're, they're working predominantly, well, I shouldn't say predominantly, a lot of the cities there are working with surface water, mm-hmm. you know, precipitation that comes down from the mountains. Um, yeah, reservoirs, you need to add calcium because it's low mineral. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere in the country, you may have sufficient calcium, but the water is high in alkalinity, and that's something that's got to be adjusted. So, you know, is, from what Travis is saying, you know, understanding that basic you know, decision point on how on, and how it affects the beers that you can brew well is, is a very important point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, Peter Simons, uh, <laughs> who has also traveled quite extensively with yes, with, yes. with me and, and, and the rest of us, uh, he he actually went to uh, Fawcett's Malt with uh, Travis and I. Oh. And uh, he he drove. We were in uh, York, and we had somebody who uh, was able to drive on the left-hand side. That was Peter. And he drove us down in a rental car to uh, Fawcett's. And we spent the day wandering around Fawcett's and then having uh, 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 Fawcett's uh, provide us lunch at the at the local pub. And it was amazing. That was an amazing time. One of, Did one you of spend the some time in the steeping tanks and so on? Everywhere. He was like, well, wh- what do you want to see? I'm like, everything. He's like, okay. So he spent like three hours out of his busy day. <laughs> one around. I walked out on the floor maltings. On the oh, malt, nice. Yeah. And he showed me how to uh, check the malt for, uh, you know, uh, whether it was done or not. It was one of the things that I, I'm, you know, when you talk about bucket list, you check that one off. And then Peter says, I sleep cold. Yes, I like it like a meat locker. Peter knows that. That's what he meant. Okay. Yeah. Place has to be goddamn freezing for me to enjoy it. 
I thought he meant that your feet are cold, your hands are cold. I wasn't sure what he meant. It's when like we're laying sp- next to a corpse. When, when, yeah. when we were spooning, uh, <laughs> you know, my behavior is a little cold. I'm just saying. That's where my mind went. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, so <clears throat> that's how you, you how you improved your beers over time. But what made the the biggest difference? If you had to identify it down to one thing that people should focus on to improve beers, to to turn their beers from you know average homebrew to award winning, what what was that one thing? I mean, are we assuming they they have fermentation nailed? Because if not, it's it's fermentation. Um, I mean, you you got to pay attention to your your sanitation and your fermentation. Uh, you won't make good beer with any good water if you don't have that. You know, mm-hmm. um, you might be lucky like Jamil and you have a great base water, but if you don't have your fermentation down, you you're just not going to be good. Oh, you're just saying I'm lucky. Is that what you're saying? I'm lucky. I have no <laughs> skill here. I, it's, Jesus Christ. Throw me under the bus here. You might be fortunate, like Jamil, to have very good water in your area. I apologize. Jamil, you, you picked that location for the water. I, I picked remember. the location because of the water. Yeah. Yes, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, you might be fortunate to have found a location. Yeah. <laughs> Jamil, thanks for correcting me. Uh, yeah, I mean, you got to have your fermentation right. You've got to understand the temperatures. You've got to be able to finish your beers properly and, and a sanitization to start off with. Um, and, and your beer will taste good if you got your fermentation right, even if it's not the style. I mean, competition-wise, I go to my favorite resource, How to Brew, for a good reference on a recipe. And that's that's where I get in trouble, though, you know, because I'm like, well, what do I want it to taste like? And I start tweaking it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, people in Justin, I think, is in the chat. That's why he beats me, because he, he doesn't tweak it as much as I do. Uh, you know, you always Tweaking's have to good, have your man. hand tweaking. Yeah. Yeah. Pulling on it, twisting it. <laughs> now, now you've also, you've also done, uh, and you've sent me some of these beers, which I really enjoyed. Some smash beers. So you have done some, um, uh, you know, uh, single malt, single hop beers, and and you do that why? Uh, well. I guess really quickly, I ran through a handful of base malts and found out which one I liked for the style. But I, I really like to find out about the new hops. Um, and some are new to me and they're not new to you guys. And some are new to you guys and not as new. You know, sometimes it's available homebrew level only and so forth. And I want to find out, well, what does this one taste like? What does that one taste like? And as a smash, I'll find out how it bitters, how it flavors and how it does aroma it's the only hop I'll use as long as it's got decent alpha acids in it. And, you know, and the ones I sent you were my double IPAs. So they were homebrew calcs, 180, 190 IBUs. Wow. So you wouldn't do that because it's probably way more expensive than the CTZ. You know, who's going to waste uh, Oh, I don't know that we would do 120 barrel batch. <laughs> That's something like that. But I, I'm getting, I'm getting a five barrel brew plan out here. And we're, we're going to be able to do five barrels of uh, something, whatever crazy. Well, and that's a whole lot more affordable. I mean, especially if you're going to buy 11 pounds, 22 pounds at a time of a hop, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm cool with trying all sorts of different hops. It's just, you know, once you brew it, 
uh, you got to be able to get rid of the beer. And mm-hmm. so when it's when it's five or ten gallons, that's pretty easy. When it's you know uh, you know 120 barrels, it it starts to get difficult to get rid of that. Or even just 30 barrels, it it, it ends up you know you're trying to get rid of you know nearly a thousand gallons of beer, and uh, so that can be that can be tricky through a tap room. So we you know being able to do the five barrel, I think that'll be great. That'd be nice. Um, Pete is asking, I'm brewing an American brown ale in an interbrew club competition soon. Each of us has a nominated beer to brew against a beer, a brewer in the club or against not. He's not brewed an American brown. Can you recommend any of the specialty malts that would be good with this style? Where's he located? Um, He does not say. Um, well, he, America, he was at the, I want to think. No, he was he was at the uh, Pete was uh, at at the the brew lab. <gasps> that's right. He's in England. Okay. okay. Well, American Brown. Okay. Uh, right. So Pete, um, I think you're good with a lot of the British crystals. I would, if you're trying to do an American flavor, I would avoid the British base malts. You might go with more like a Pilsner or, you know, some, if you can get American two row, American two row is unique. Um, just like British pales unique and, you know, uh, you know, uh, German Pilsner is unique. Uh, the chocolate malts that you have there, you, you know, England is a, a, um, uh, a wonderland of specialty malts when it comes to crystal and, and, and toasted and roasted malts. Uh, so I would stick with those. Uh, so you can need some chocolate malts. You're going to need uh, some crystal malts. Uh, but, you know, as far as base malts, I would try and get something really clean and uh, simple, uh, you know, biscuit, light biscuit, grainy, you know, not too grainy, not too biscuity. Uh, malts like you get in the U.S. Um, you know, there is the uh, uh, Janet's Brown in the Brewing Classic Styles. I think that that's a, yep. a great way to go. How has that changed over the years, though? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they split it up in 2015, right? Now you have American Brown and a Brown IPA. Mm. I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that Brown IPA exists, Um but I don't remember where they put Janet's. Right. Uh, Janet's was great for style before they split that out for sure though. I would think you'd probably back off on the, the hops and Janet's, uh, especially in England. Um, England has, you know, a number and it's getting hoppier and more Americanized on, on a lot of those beers, but even still a lot of them, that you will find commercially and homebrewed do not have the intensity that a West coast American Brown will have, or a Texas Brown American Brown will have, uh, which interestingly enough, the style came from Texas. Um, so I think judges in the UK may be a little, um, off put by something that is intensely hoppy. So I would try and give a little more balance towards the malt and the hops. So, um, yeah. 
Janet's Brown recipe uses principally crystal and chocolate for the specialty malts. I think some amber malt is a good addition to give a little more of the biscuit character, more of the dry grain character. Um, and uh, I've had some, you know, very good American browns that uh, they are, I think American brown as opposed to English brown also has more of the dry malt character, not astringent, but just the more of the uh, uh, biscuit uh, touches of our row. And it's the, it's that drier uh, character that roast can give you in low amounts. I, I, I think there is some roast character, but I, I think you need uh, a good layer of crystal malt. Yeah, yeah, definitely. To kind of balance it out. It's it's balanced. It's it's kind of sweet. A little bit of, uh, you know, the, the chocolate malts will give you a bit of the roasty. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. You know, if, if you compare it to a Sam Smith's, Sam Smith's uh, kind of nutty. Um, it's got a bit of that chocolate roasty. I would take that and make it, you know, more hoppy, a, a tiny bit, mm-hmm. you know, a, a cleaner yeast character, um, a touch more crystalline, a touch more roast. You know, it's American. Yep. It's yeah, more, it's a robust more of each. It, and it was, you know, the genesis of this was, you know, uh, homebrewers in Texas, you know, brewing you know, British brown ales and making them American and, you know, a little bit more intense, a little bit bigger and a little stronger. And then they got hoppier and it became a style. And that's where, that's where it comes from. That's, that's kind of the history of it. Hmm. Um, So there you go. Uh, One, one good thing came from Texas. I'm just saying. (laughs) What what do we know that's available to him in England? Yeah. Oh, beers available? <laughs> no, no. Uh, like, so for the malts, I, I, like you said, I mean, I don't know if you can get American two-row in England. Um, should be able to. Oh, you know, I don't know. It's it's tough. Um, I, I you know, saw the other day. I, I haven't seen it in person. But someone had a, a Maris, no, no, a Golden Promise Light. Hmm. Now, I haven't brewed with it. I don't know if you guys have seen it. But I'm wondering how close that might be. To the right profile. I haven't tried it. They they've got some basic, um, uh, you know, like European continental two row malt. It's not quite you know pilsner. It's just a light color pale. So sometimes extra pale uh, will work, uh, meaning that it's not as pale ailed as uh, you know something you might find at uh, like Thomas Fawcett's or or wherever. Here's a question for you. I've, I've tasted your beers. I tasted your beers years ago. I've tasted your dirty diaper. I've tasted, I've tasted other beers. Uh, and, and I've tasted your beers recently. As, as a self-measure, how far do you think you have to go as far as improving as a brewer? Considerable. Um, considerable. I mean, it, it's I'm happy with a lot of beers and I'm not happy with at least as many beers as I'm happy with. And now it's, it's, it's going to, it's, I've got to keep doing the process. Got to keep tweaking, you know, got to keep listening to you guys. Got to keep referring back to the water book and 
trying to get the balance right. Uh, I mean, uh, last competition I entered, I think my average score was 36. I'd like it to be 40 plus. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a. Uh, what what areas are you focusing on most currently? Right now, I'm focusing on packaging. Packaging, right, yeah. right. I got some feedback that uh, it doesn't show up as well as it sends off. Mm-hmm. Um, getting some oxidation comments back. Mm-hmm. And uh, which, which I think I'm just being cheap with the CO2. It's part of it because I didn't used to get so many of those comments as I'm getting right now. Packaging um, is critical. Uh, you know, you can make the best beer in the world, but if you package it poorly, you know, the results can be poor beer. So, uh, you know, you're somebody who's won a number of awards, uh, but, you know, even you, you know, brewing it uh, well, if you're not packaging it well, then, you know, it's going to be a big, it's going to be, uh, you know, a lesser beer than what, what you were intended. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you typically package your beers? I mean, uh, beer gun, um, you know, uh, Blitman beer gun original, uh, I think not the, not the new version for sure. I don't know if we had a predecessor to the version one. No. Yeah. Yeah. Do that hooked up. And even that somehow has changed because I used to, I used to create crazy foam when I did it. Hmm. Uh, and now I don't. And I wonder if I can trust any of my pressure gauges. Oh, well, that could be, a, that could be the issue. I just bought a new regulator for my CO2 system. Yeah. Yeah. I'm overdue. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> uh, Pete was saying the malt miller uh, in the UK has uh, most of the grains and hops that you would need to make American brown ale. Okay. Check, check yeah, I was, I was looking at, I was looking at the, one of the home brew supply shops there and they have uh, Brees victory malt, which is, you know, that amber malt. Mm-hmm. They've got some of the, uh, the toasted or the roasted wheat malts like the mm-hmm. black Prince, a touch of that can have, have a, had a nice, uh, you know, roast yet not a stringent character. Give it that little, that edge, that brown edge uh, to it. So, Travis, you and I have traveled together. You've, you've done some other beer travel. I mean, you lived in Belgium while you were working as an engineer over there. Um, do, you, do you feel that beer travel is a benefit to your brewing, or is it just a, a nice thing to, you know, uh, round out your, your beer knowledge or, or neither? I, I, to me, it's an absolute benefit. Um, I don't know that everyone else needs it, but... I, I can't imagine brewing a beer that I have never had a good version of, mm. you know I mean? I can't imagine trying to do a British style and never having had a bitter on cask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it is a little disappointing because it's hard to create that effect that, you know, you get in the brew pub. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Having the beers at the source. Um, I didn't appreciate a, a German pills until I had a, a bunch of them and, they are excellent beers, you know, uh, English bitter. I've never had anything in the USA. I would say other than the bitter you sent me, Jamil, that, that even approached, uh, what you actually get in, in a pub in England. It's just, mm-hmm. if you have a style and you think the style is, is, uh, not good, you probably haven't had the style at the source because the people there are probably are not drinking bad beer. 
Right. Yeah. No, nobody wants to drink bad beer. Right. But every every style that you know became a style it became a style because people locally were like, "Oh man, this is really good," and you know it lasted for hundred years or whatever it would be, yeah. or ten years in 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 New England terms. You know, yeah. five. Yeah. It'll 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 last a hundred years. Trust me. Uh, I see that the clock is is up upon us. So let's take uh, one more break, and when we come back, we will uh, talk more award winning brewing with Travis Campbell right after this. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. Right, we're back. Uh, my good friend Travis, uh, along with my good friend John Palmer, uh, we're, we're talking. Uh, Travis is. So, yeah, I mean, Travis, you know, when when you first, how long was it when you first started brewing? How many batches did you brew? And you know, how many entries did you have before you won your first uh, medal in competition? Okay, so I, I was brewing probably monthly for let's call it four years and uh, enjoying my beer. And I was living in New Orleans and the club I was in, there was no competition um, uh, spirit or mentality or, I mean, I, I don't even recall companies. The club didn't have anything other than maybe bring your beer to each one. So it wasn't a thing. And then I moved to, uh, I moved to, to Europe for a year and couldn't believe that the thing I missed the most was brewing and you guys. Um, and like, as soon as I came home, I knew I was going to move to Texas and I was actually doing some work in Texas. And I guess I started noticing the competitions as I started reaching out to the Texas homebrew clubs prior to moving. And believe it or not, it was a very small event, but the first uh, competition I ever entered in, I, I took two medals. One was by default and one was actually a good beer. So your entry uh, one of one? It was uh, <laughs> uh, it was three of four. Nice, literally. And at IPA, I was hoping to get advice on. You eventually gave me advice on an IPA, and it's come a whole long way. That was uh, the two bitter days, is before I was fixing my water days. But the- well, he he here's <laughs> here's one thing I remember was uh, I I was in uh, New Orleans for some software thing I think it was and I went to it was a Gordon Biersch and every beer on that Gordon Biersch was spectacular whoever was brewing at the Gordon Biersch at the time oh my god they knew exactly what they were doing it was out of this world good and I some people were gathered at a table behind me and they were talking about brewing and I, I, I had to get up from my seat at the bar I, I turned around and said excuse me, are you guys like brewers? I hear you talking about brewing. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we started talking, and, and uh, I, I specifically remember one guy was just like, uh, we were talking about, uh, uh, you know, where you, you know, things that you learn and where you learn information and all this. And one guy was like, you know, I've been brewing for five years, and there's nothing anyone can tell me about brewing that I don't already know. I know everything. I don't, I don't listen to podcasts. I don't, you know, read books. I don't, it's like, I know everything about brewing there is. 
<laughs> just like this guy's an idiot. And I think, you know, you and I talked about it later. Just like, yeah, there's, there's people that, you know, they believe that there's nothing to learn that they know it all. And uh, they don't really care to hear any feedback or anything else. I think that was one of the things that, that kind of shocked me. Uh, you know, to be fair, the other folks in the club were uh, very, uh, you know, they were like, no, no, no. This is just like one old curmudgeon. Uh, <laughs> the rest of us are trying hard to, you know, be the best brewers in the world. But I, I mentioned to you, you're going like, yeah, I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> And I think, you know, the, the, the point being uh, that it really uh, impacts the progress of a brewer and, the, and, you know, you shifted clubs and I think it accelerated yeah. your brewing capability and your, and, you know, you, it really moved you forward. A, a homebrew club is a, is a wonderful thing and an important thing. This is one of the reasons that the AHA is important because it, it, it actually encourages club participation. It's not just about the AHA. It's the AHA supports clubs. And, you know, being part of a good club makes you a better brewer. Yep. And, you know, you, you, you actually produce better beer by uh, being supported and challenged by your, your club mates, like in the CIA, right, Travis? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. These guys, uh, highly competitive, uh, great guys to be around. Uh, it is a really good club and, and they don't just want to beat other clubs. They want to beat each other. You know, everybody wants to make better beer, but, but really it's, and I hate to emphasize that because it's not a hundred percent that is a lot of people don't want to be in a club that all they're about is competing. And I guess there are clubs that are like that. And CIA is not that most clubs are not that. I mean, you, even if you don't want to compete, it's a great club to be in because you should get to drink great beer made by other people. Right. Yeah. And learn from other people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but you know, clubs going against clubs or clubs going, you know, it helps everybody rise, you know, uh, rising tide floats all boats. And, you know, if, if you, if you can improve everybody's brewing and sometimes, you know, it's just a friendly little bit of competition and clubs are great at, you know, fostering that, you know, Hey, let's all try and be better. And it's not, you know, somebody's a loser, somebody's a winner, but, Hey, have we all learned something from this? And I think that's one of the great things. One thing before we go, I want to ask you, Travis, is, um, you know, how are you sourcing your materials for award-winning beers? Do you find that there's different ways that, uh, you know, it's important to look at how you are sourcing your materials for your beers and that's improved or are you just going to, you know, whatever shops available and buying whatever, you know, they have, or how, how do you, how do you do this? Because you've, you've, you've clearly improved your brewing and won one metals and important metals in competition. And I can't imagine that, you know, uh, the source materials are unimportant to you. It, you're, they're 100% important to me. Um, I, I, I like to rely on a, a great local homebrew shop. Um, they're not all great, unfortunately. Um, I How mean, do you tell the difference? Well, if I walk in with my recipe and they say, I don't have this hot, but I, got, I have this one in stock today. Um, you know, it's my IPA. It's not their IPA. 
Um, but I, I do a good job of communicating before I show up. You know, if, if they're not going to have what I need, I'll, I'll source it, you know, online if I have to. Uh, I'd rather give them my business locally. Uh, uh, then there was the homebrew shop who said, and we don't carry breeze because we don't like how their crystal malts taste. Mm. And I'm thinking, so you're not carrying the number one crystal malt manufacturer in the U.S. because it's your beer, not mine, but it's my beer. Mm-hmm. And they, if you're starting off, they may or may not know more than you know. They should know more than you know. But if you're dialing in your beer and you're brewing your beer, you got to use what you want in your beer and learn from that. You know, if, if you're stuck, point. if you're stuck, try what they're offering. But if man, I've made this five times and I'm dialing it in and you're telling me I've got to use that hop instead of this hop, that's, that's not going to teach you what you want to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Depending on the hop, you know? Yeah. Um, but you know, their, their business supports our hobby but our hobby supports their businesses. It's got to be symbiotic, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a, it's probably different here than it is. Well, anywhere, you know, everywhere is different. Uh, the, the number of home brewers, the density of home brewers, uh, some of the, some of the places have obviously been struggling, you know, even before everywhere in the world was struggling. Um, I'd rather, it's like, it's like going to ACE or going to home Depot. If I can go to ACE, I'm going to go to ACE. Mm-hmm. If I yep. go to my local homebrew shop, I'm going to go to my local homebrew shop. And that's They're the, the thing is you, you need to support your local homebrew shop or they won't exist. You know, if the local homebrew shop sucks, tell them they suck. <laughs> tell, them, tell, them, you know, tell them what the problem is, you know, help them yeah. correct what, you know, what they have. And the, and the best homebrew shops, they'll be like, all right. You know, if you're not talking out of your, out of your butt, they will, you know, make some adjustments and they'll be like, okay, okay, they're right. We need to carry this or that's bad. Or the way we do this is bad. Yeah. Okay. And they'll adjust and they'll become a great homebrew shop, but they'll become a great homebrew shop with your interaction and your support. Right. Absolutely. Very good. All right. Well, thank you very much, Travis, for joining us and sharing your, your tales of, uh, you know, how you went from, uh, I'm saying eh, beer to a uh, really fantastic beer. Uh, I had, I had a couple of beers from you just recently that I thought they had some oxidation in, in packaging, but they were so good. So well brewed that I drank the whole thing. I'm like, ah, oxidation be damned. It's an excellent beer. I really enjoyed those. So thank you so much for, for uh, sending me those beers for joining us today. Thank you very much to uh, our dear sponsor, John Blickman at BlickmanEngineering.com. Send him an email, uh, feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. Tell him how much you appreciate that he has paid for the show so you don't have to. Uh, if you enjoy listening to this, the, the least you can do for me is sending him an email. I may cost you nothing but a couple minutes to say thank you, John, uh, for Bruce Strong. Uh, and, and send that out to them. Uh, and same for our folks at Brute Chatter. If you're ever out in Reno, Reno area, stop by. They got like beer, like great beer available to you. So uh, check them out. Thanks for everyone for, for participating live in, on Facebook. Peter Simons, Peter Talbot, Graham, uh, yeah. Mike, everybody. Uh, thanks, thanks for being there. We appreciate the support. Uh, thanks, Travis. Thanks, everybody. Uh, until next time, which is, I think, like a week from now. 
Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll have more for you. Uh, Bruce Strong, everyone. Bruce Strong.